This podcast is sponsored by listeners like yourself. This marks the last episode of year two of The Laps. As of this recording, we're just a few dollars short from being able to sustain another year of the show to go into year three of production. If you've got a buck or two or three and maybe uh, about as much as you tip the pizza guy, if you've been thinking about it and you've forgotten about it and uh, if you can afford to donate to the show, maybe maybe pause this one. Uh, instead of waiting to the end, go to patreon.com slash the laps and pledge just whatever change you got on hand. A dollar, two dollars, like I said, that that is what makes this show actually happen. So hopefully with your help, we'll see you again in year three. Thanks, everybody. With that said, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Lap Storytelling Podcast, where we tell true stories, gussied up. I'm your host, Kyle Jest, and today, it's uh, it's funny, the same time last year, I ran a story from my mother, my very own mother, Lynn. This time, it's not my mother, Lynn. She's not back just yet, but it is largely a story about a mother, Candace Fox's occasionally eccentric mother, aren't they all? <laughs> you know that old saying, one person's trash is another person's treasure? I think that the more I listen to this one, the more I'm convinced. I don't know, I haven't seen it, but it's got to be on the Fox's family crest somewhere. I'm calling this one, and I happen to really like this title, Trash Mom. See you with your ears. This is The Laps. When a bird goes into shock, it only has a 10% chance of survival. So my mum, when she was rescuing animals, she'd always give me the birds big parrots or seabirds and things, and I'd say, oh, this one will survive. I would put it in a shoebox, and then the next day I'd lift the lid off the shoebox and it'd just be dead. She must have known every time I said the bird would be okay, it probably wouldn't. She would rescue birds that had no hope because she used to say that a nice death in a shoebox at our house was better than being eaten by a fox or something. She got a wedge-tailed eagle one time. It had been hit by a train and it had just stuck to the front of the train all the way from Melbourne to Sydney, which is about 1,200 kilometres before they'd gone, oh, there's an eagle on the front of this train. She wrapped it in a blanket and she sat on the kitchen floor with it and its wingspan is like two metres. Its head was as big as my head. She just patted it until it died because there's nothing she could do but she thought it was a nice way to go. Candace's mum, she cares. She cares about her animals, she cares about her kids. She probably cares about you and your neighbor, too. She cares about a lot of... Well, she cares about a lot of... things. I mean, I've seen her wade into marshland to rescue parts of mannequins that are half-submerged in the mud because she sort of feels like they're people. She's, she's all about rescuing this complex where she needs to be everyone's saviour. Everyone and everything. So I'm one of six kids. My mum had four, and then she was fostering two children, twins, and they were newborns, and their mother was a prostitute and a drug addict, and their father was in prison at the time they were removed from her care. Mum just fell in love with them, and she put in to adopt them. Uh, so now there's six of us. 
it would get up to 12 or 13 at a time before my dad started going, we can't fit any more kids in this house. <laughs> you know. We always made space. We would just pull beds out from inside walls and pull beds from under beds. And she would have a baby possum under her arm, three foster kids who have just arrived in the house that they don't know what to do, trying to get ready for school. We went to school in a minibus, bringing all these strange people to class, sometimes only for a couple of weeks at a time. In her free moments, when she has one, and tucked away by her bed, when she has one of those, Candace finds an escape in writing. I'd run home from school to start writing because I just had these characters in my mind and I was so excited about getting them out. For as long as I could remember, I always... Embarrassingly, I started writing because I was a big Martin Scorsese fan. Everything I wrote was set in New York and I didn't know anything about New York, so... It was all a little bit gangster, speculative. I was reading true crime at about age seven. I read a book called Killer Kids. It had kids on it, so I'm a kid, and I'll like this. And I, I read about the murder of Shanda Shearer. say the 18-year-old Loveless planned the murder of 12-year-old Shanda Shearer, burned alive in this field. All the hairs on my arms stood on end, and my the hair at the back of my neck stood on end. I'd never felt like that before. Reading and particularly writing, age-appropriate or no, they give Candace these moments of solitude. Because outside of her books... It was just noise and chaos all the time. There's very little that you can do on a family outing with 12 children. Um, pay admission, for example, if you want to go to the local pool for 12 kids. The beach was a nightmare for her. She loved going to the beach, but there were so many kids to watch in the surf and... She's afraid of drowning and afraid of sharks and afraid of people being abducted, so... She just has a lot of anxiety. I mean, she has OCD and she just has these intrusive thoughts. She would take us to places where we could run around, like we would go to a cemetery near us, a Rookwood Cemetery, and she would sit on the bench nearby and read a newspaper and we'd just run around all the graves and things. She kept a calendar on her fridge and would say which areas had garbage collection, trash, trash that Candace's family would pick through. We used to call it scabbing. We would go to that area and drive around the streets in the minibus and if we saw a pile that looked like it was really interesting, we'd all tumble out of the bus and start going through it. She would actually get angry at people who put out really boring piles and she'd say, how dare these people throw out this rubbish? She was um, collecting hubcaps for a while. She ended up having three sheds full of hubcaps before my dad said, you've got to get rid of all those hubcaps. My dad used to work at a prison near us. Um, he was a parole officer. I think that's part of why I love crime so much because I remember all these cops being around the house all the time. We were watching The Simpsons and there was just kids everywhere and we all used to sit on the floor. I was sitting just near them and he was telling her about a prisoner that had been on suicide watch because he didn't want to leave the prison. He didn't, he didn't want to be released. He ended up slitting his throat with the lid of a tuna can. And I, you know, and I was like five or six years old and I'm sitting and I'm listening and I'm going, what? <laughs> sunny weekday afternoon, 
Candace arrives home from school. Her mom, with this big smile on her face, waves her over to the day's spoils. My mom knew that I liked to write, and I used to write in notebooks, and I had a fascination with old typewriters and things. She said, you're going to love this. I found a laptop, and I said, no way. It was about the size of a phone book, hugely wide, and it just had one little pop-up screen. <laughs> when you typed, your text came in in green, and it had to stay plugged in to the wall, otherwise it wouldn't work. My mum basically never saw me again. I was just in my room writing. Just writing. Tucked away in whatever quiet she can find. By 18, despite some skepticism on the part of mum, artists don't make any money. You will never Candace starts submitting just about every publisher in Australia. I wrote four full manuscripts. It takes about three to six months to hear anything back. So for those three to six months, I would be saying, anything yet, anything yet? Most of the time, that was just an automated rejection letter. But sometimes we'd built up such a relationship that by about the second or third manuscript, the publishers would start calling me. But they felt worse when they called me because I always cried. <laughs> Good manuscript, it is. I mean, you're almost there, really. You just need to spend some more time. Yep. Maybe give it a little bit. And, and we, at this time, we're not looking for... Yep. Uh, uh, what I'm saying is you should maybe try in, in the future if you want to resubmit. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I'd call up my mother and start crying on the phone to her. <laughs> I write about very tough characters, but I'm not a very tough character. You print it out and it just goes in a drawer. And when you submit it to 50 publishers and they all say no, <laughs> you think, officially everyone in the country hates my work. I didn't think I was clever enough for a university. It was either the Navy or the police. I thought with the Navy I could travel. And I didn't travel very much, to be honest. But... It wasn't a good idea in any way. I get outrageously seasick. I don't know what I was thinking. On the other hand, Candace does meet a fellow on the job. A fellow swell enough to date, swell enough to marry. We were only married for six months. He just came home and said, I'm leaving you for one of my students, and I'd like you to get out. I think one of the first things I said was, but there's a roast in the oven. That was a really bad time in my life. My mum just said, Come home. You're coming home, and you're living with me. Spending every Friday night drinking cheap wine and watching TV with my parents. At least, if anything, the downtime with mum and dad gives Candace some space to write. She finds an agent, somebody willing to do the submission legwork on her behalf. I was in bed and I got a call from a number that I didn't recognize. Hello. It's Gabby. She's very, she's very posh. I thought, I can't talk to this woman in my pyjamas. She's too classy for me. I've got an offer for you. I thought she said, I've got an author for you. Another author who's going to mentor you and maybe get you published one day. And I said, oh, really? Oh, yeah, it's from Rare 
Did you say an offer? I just started screaming. Yes, yes, alright. Now shut up. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you about the deal. I looked out the, the front windows of the house and I saw Mum pulling into the driveway and I rushed down the stairs and I grabbed the driver's side door and I wrenched it open and I said, I'm being published by Random House. She just collapsed into tears <laughs> and then I collapsed into tears and then we were just hugging each other and sobbing. Uh, it was all very dramatic. <laughs> Candice has her very first book published. She even wins a Ned Kelly, Australia's Literary Award for Crime Fiction. Twice, actually. Today, she's writing a book with a little-known crime author called James Patterson. Not bad for the girl with the green laptop. As for Mom... I put little Easter eggs in there all throughout the novel about things from my childhood, like the guy with the tuna can lid. She usually ends up reading my work three or four times. She's a true crime fiend. She has an example that she can pick up about anything, about being abducted, about being held in a dungeon, about anything. I went to a writer's retreat recently. I called her and I said, well, I'm going up to the mountains now to my writer's retreat, and there's going to be about four or five other writers there. Well, I'll, I'm, I'm sure I'll be fine. Have you got a lock on the inside of your door at this place? Because I, I say writer's retreat, and her mind goes straight to rape. She actually changed her name legally this year to Ocean Mermaid. Her hair is all blue and green like a mermaid, and she has a special mermaid room in her house. You can't get into the mermaid room unless you go in the cupboard and you push all the clothes aside and you go through a secret door into the mermaid room where she, I don't know what she does in there. It's covered in fairy lights and lava lamps and she plays whale music, mermaids out in there, I don't know. We were walking to a, um, a friend of ours place for a party Oh, what's this now? Our fourth bird in two months. There was this baby bird and it was just sitting on the ground. And I went, oh my God, look at you. What are you doing? I picked it up. I was looking for the nest. And so I turned up at the party and I just had this, this bird wrapped up like this. And I said, I need a box and a towel to go over the top and a little dish of water. And I knew everything to do. And my friends are going, why did you bring that? Why didn't you just leave it? And I said, because it would have been eating my cat. You know, and they said, what if it dies? And I thought, I'd better die at my house than out there, get munched on by some cat. It's weird. Yeah, people don't get it. I don't know. That story again was shared by Candace Fox. Candace is an award-winning author of crime fiction. Her first three books, Hades, Eden, and Fall, available now. This August, you and she, I'm sure, can look forward to her collaboration with James Patterson. That's entitled Never Never. Thank you so much to our show's transcriptionist, Jesse Brennan, and to our executive-level patrons this month out in full force to keep us going. Rob Holcomb, Cindy Crines, Matthew Gibson, Richard Quartz, Jill Galvez, Patrick Freeburn, Don Smith, Haley Smith, and Dan Lesser. 
I'll be putting up Candace's uncut interview on Patreon if you want to hear it there. You can find out about her further adventures with Mum and her slightly fangirlish first encounter with James Patterson. As you now know, this marks the final episode of year two of The Lapse. If you like the show, if you can afford to throw me the price of maybe a donut once a month, year three can truck on straight ahead. That's at patreon.com slash the lapse. Before we go, I just want to say it is my absolute privilege to share these stories with you and for you to be able to experience a little of what these diverse and, and wonderful people have experienced. It's something that's difficult to sum up in a few words. So I just want to say from me to you, thanks for making this show something special and a continued treat to run. My name is Kyle Jest, and this was The Lapse. Thank you so much for listening.